White Sox! White Sox! Go! 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 Call your sons! Call your daughters! Holy cow! Carlton Burns has put the White Sox ahead! There goes number 400! The big Brad Burns takes the perfect game! His second no-hitter! You can't put it on the board! Yeah! Can it go? Grand slam! The White Sox winner and a world championship! Have all the fun you want, Tim Anderson! This one is... Locked on socks. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey. And the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Socks podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello and welcome back to Locked On Socks. I am Herb Lawrence. And I've been missing a glass couple episodes, but as always on this show, it is Chris Tannehill on the other side, episode number 49. Thank you for holding it down a couple episodes, Chris. How are you doing tonight? No doubt, Herbie. I missed you. Welcome back. But I just want to let you guys know that tonight's episode, episode 49 of Lockdown White Sox is brought to you by our new friends at CBDMD. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair. Everyone needs support to make it through the day. Luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. CBD Freeze with Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. CBD Recover combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try this amazing duo of topicals and everything else, CBDMD has to offer. They're offering our listeners, the Lockdown White Sox listeners, 25% off your next order when you use the promo code LOCKDOWNMLB at checkout. That's right. Once again, that's CBDMD.com. Promo code LOCKEDONMLB for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. All right, so episode 49, Herbie. Lots to choose from, but there's, of course, only one obvious answer tonight. Uh, Let's take it back. Since it is Cubs and Sox, I had no idea that former Cubs manager Lee Elia played for the White Sox and wore number 49 in 1966. Now, if you've got kids around listening, uh, you may want to send them to bed or, you know, uh, circle back to us and listen later. Uh, but this is Lee Elia's uh, infamous rant back in April of 1983, naturally, on Cubs fans. I'll tell you one fucking thing. I hope we get fucking hot as shit just to stuff it up them 3,000 fucking people that show up every fucking day. <laughs> Because if they're the real Chicago fucking fans, they can kiss my fucking ass right downtown and and print it. Print it. They're really, really (laughs) behind you around here. My fucking ass. (laughs) What the fuck am I supposed to do? Go out there and let my fucking players get destroyed every day and be quiet about it for the fucking nickel dime people to show up? (laughs) The motherfuckers don't even work. That's why they're out at the fucking game. They want to go out and get a fucking job and find out what it's like to go out and earn a fucking living. 85% of the fucking world's working. The other 15 come out here. The fucking playground for the cocksuckers. That's my shit right there. I love that. Rip them motherfuckers. Rip them cocksuckers like the fucking players. Got guys busting their fucking ass and them fucking people poo. And that's the cubs. My fucking ass. ass. <laughs> All right. So I think that's a good place to end it. It, go, it goes on like this yes. for three minutes. And, of course, our dear friend Les Grobstein, he was there. He was the only one recording on a tape recorder. And every April 29th each year, he'll break out the censored rant naturally on the radio. But you can find it. It's all there for you on YouTube. So that was a, quite a revelation seeing that Lee Elia played for the White Sox. I had no idea about that. But also... Uh, wore the number 49. So what a pleasant surprise. The things that we learn, the things that you guys learn listening to <laughs> Locked on Socks. But, Herbie, what else you got for number 49? I know that's tough An- to follow. Yeah, another fiery guy who got in a little tussle, a t- tussle with another former Cubs manager. 
Rob Dibble wore number 49. And of course, when he was a bad boy uh, on the Reds, I don't know if they called him a bad boy. The na- Nasty Boys. Him. The Nasty Boys. There it is. Him, Norm Charlton, and then one other guy. But him and Sweet Lou Pinella got into a little fight. Sweet Lou saying, you don't want to be treated like a man. I just remember yeah. that part of it and then getting his ass kicked. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's the 49 that I would uh, actually put as the one we should name this episode after because who can't forget the 1995 exploits of a Rob Dibble? on the White Sox. What a team. What a time to be alive to be a White Sox fan. You had John Cruck on that team. Oh, boy. <laughs> Talk about a, a cast of characters for the 1995 White Sox with the former nasty boy, <laughs> Rob Dibble. Uh, what other, other no- notable number 49s we have here tonight? Um, someone uh, requesting on Twitter today, like, oh, uh, Chris Sale would be a good call. Like, yeah, you, you, you think? Thanks, guys. <laughs> I love when people reach out on Twitter. But I was like, hey, what about Chris Sale? Like, oh, shit, I didn't think of them about that one. I, I've been too busy researching Richard Dotson. But we might as well just settle it right now. It's, it's a pretty obvious choice here when you it talk. cut and dry. Yeah, haha, I see what you did there. What would you have given to be in, in the clubhouse that day when Chris Sale decided to basically start the rebuild and cut up all those throwback jerseys? I, I would have given everything I own to be in that room and watch that transpire and just him mf and kenny and kenny taking it (laughs) i can't believe that happened because kenny is a dude that seems like he would be like giving it back but all accounts are sale was mf and kenny and taking it to the taking it to the gm at the time i think gm or uh vice president at the time just relentlessly so yeah i would have loved to be there I did not like the fact that he was cutting up uniforms or MF in the GM or vice president of baseball ops, whatever Kenny was at the time. But to see players to do that to their bosses, man, that's uh, it's a fantasy that you can do that and still keep your job pretty much. And then there's a time, of course, where he famously MF Kenny in spring training when when they when they rolled out the edict that Drake LaRoche, who uh, is no longer allowed to be in the clubhouse with the guys. Like, you know, Chris Sale was notably the guy that MF Kenny that day as well. So when you talk about Drake LaRoche, of course you have to mention. We lost a leader in Drake. The kid was so tremendous. So tremendous. So God, tremendous. How many bags did we have in that clubhouse? <laughs> Damn. Like, he had him eating LaRoche. Sale. I mean, they've all the two of them have gone on to win championships with other teams. So, God bless to them. But uh, man, a lot of bags, tons of bags. But it, it brings us to where we are now. And real quick, before we get into tonight's episode, which is of course Mailbag Monday, and I'm going to talk to you about the last leg of your trip, and we're going to talk about this Cubs Sox exhibition game that's going down right now. Just uh, looking at Chris Sale, uh, his, his rankings as far as all time great. White Sox pitchers, he ranks number one uh, strikeouts per nine innings pitch with 10.086. He's also number one strikeouts uh, per base on balls, 4.785. And as far as number ones, it's mostly, you know, it's a lot of uh, Big Ed Walsh. He stood six foot tall. People thought he was a giant of a man. Uh, and Billy Pierce, Mark Burleys, and things of that nature. So Chris Sale, well, one of the all-time great Sox pitchers, uh, the, the single-season strikeout leader, I believe, uh, for the White Sox. I'll never know. There's no way to look this stuff up, folks. Well, this is the 90s. I just have a stack of encyclopedias here. But, yeah, so thank you for bringing my San Diego Padres uh, Swing and Fryer Ale. Uh, per my request, you brought it back from San Diego. It was great seeing you. And Courtney this morning dropping beer off at my doorstep was much appreciated. I, I had one with dinner. We had some turkey sausage and peppers, and uh, it, it was the closest thing to being at a ballpark tonight, having the game on, a little sausage and peppers, and a little swinging fryer ale. So thank you for that. It was delicious. But how was the uh, the last leg of your trip, and more importantly, how was that drive home? Well, the last leg of the trip was good. We uh, After I spoke to you, uh, I think we went to – uh, we hosted in our Airbnb, which was in Mission Beach, uh, Courtney's aunt who lives out there. And then we, the next night, went out to her nice place in, I think it's in La Jolla, probably. Yeah, yeah. La Jolla. Is that correct, Courtney? I'm She's saying, yeah, like I know where her aunt lives. Like, She's oh, yeah, in it's La Jolla, La Jolla right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was, man, 
a great place. Like from the outside, it just looks like a regular ranch style house. Pe- no, see, she just said she's in uh, Pacific Beach. So, yeah, it's really great. It looks like a regular house, but you go inside the house. Mercy. That's the type of home I want to own eventually where it doesn't look like much outside, but the inside is where it really counts. It literally makes it like a home. They've done some great renovations there at that home. And it was good to be hosted by uh, her aunt and her uncle. And then uh, if you check on my Instagram, I took a picture from their, I guess it would be a coach house, but it's not really. It's behind their house. It's just really great. It's uh, above their garage. And there's a, uh, the panoramic view of San Diego. They have uh, breathtaking views where we drank a couple of beers and had an enjoyable time. Then we took the drive back home, which I did the southern route, which is the way I usually go to San Diego, where I go the Route 66 way. So it's San Diego, California, then Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Illinois. Um, for the most part, those states like where we had to stop and get gas or and our food, people were masked up. People were taking this thing serious. As we didn't want to stay in Arizona because of the breakout of COVID cases. And don't worry, people. San Diego is one of the lone counties in California where the breakout is not extensive. So we were good in San Diego. We we're pretty much in the house or just on the beach wearing masks. But so we stopped in New Mexico same situation new mexico's taking it very serious there even in new mexico drive through so the starbucks and the mcdonald's the guys and girls are wearing masks and then they ask you as a person in the car to wear masks so new mexico's taking it really really serious as why as you could look that they don't have as many cases of the states surrounding them in texas and arizona and the state that was very disappointing uh, both in scenery and in how they're taking this COVID thing is, of course, misery. It's terrible. It's a horrible state. I don't understand what's wrong with it. The only saving grace for the state is that Kansas City's in it, and that's a beautiful city. But we stopped by a gas station. On the gas station door, it says masks are required, but nary a soul except for us were wearing masks. The patrons, the people behind the counters... I was like, are we taking this any seriously? Any type of serious actions going here in Missouri? And we thought maybe that's a one-off. Nope, we went to the Lion's Choice, which is a delicious place. It's like an Arby's, but better. Do they still have, like, the quarter ice cream? uh, 75 cents the Mm. last time we went. But we did not go and get the ice cream this time. We got it last time, which was last year when we went to visit Chris Ranji and watch the Cardinals game. It wasn't a good experience that time, but this time it was a good experience, but no one was wearing masks there either. Not the person handing in the food, none of that stuff. So I was like, man, should I eat this stuff? I ate it because it was great. And the fries were fantastic, but we couldn't get out of Missouri fast enough. She took a picture of the arch and said, deuces to Chris Ranji. Never visited him because we didn't want to stop in that terrible state. <laughs> and then Illinois was a pretty smooth ride. Once you, It's like four or five hours once you get out of St. Louis to get back up to Illinois, once you get to, like, hmm, let's see, Dwight, it's pretty smooth sailing. You know where you are. You start seeing things that are recognizable. You see Shep's terrible city of Cole City, and you're like, man, it's still, like, two hours to go. Damn it, I'm so far away. And then you get in the Joliet area, like, all right, this is more Chicago. And I felt great when I finally got on Lakeshore Drive and I could see the buildings again and – so relieved to get back home because that Missouri part of that, it just was so like a downer because while Iowa and Nebraska and all the rest of the states that we went to, the northern part, weren't great, they were masked up. It was giving me hope that we're going to beat this COVID thing because people are like turning the corner. They're understanding that masks will save lives. If we do it for a certain amount of time, we can kill this thing for the first wave and then deal with it when it comes back to the second wave and maybe we'll have treatments or vaccines then. But that Missouri thing, just like, Oh, they're right next door. And these, some bitches are not taking it serious. I don't know what it has to take for some States to be like that, to just say, Hey, we're getting these cases by the bucket full. Let's protect our fellow man. And it didn't happen. So I was very disappointed with Missouri. Uh, I think that state could just go away except for, 
Kansas City. Maybe give them to Kansas and then uh, take Missouri off the map totally. Yeah, I had a couple situations like that when I was up in Michigan. Where you're required by law to have the sign on your door saying mm-hmm. you must wear a mask, but you know there's not a whole lot of mask wearing uh, to be found, to be honest with you. And I, I'm a little bummed. Let me backtrack a little bit to San Diego. You mm-hmm. mentioned, I think, more things about Missouri and Illinois than about San Diego itself. Did you have a chance to ride the Ted Williams Freeway while you were out there? Yes, indeed. I, we came in on the Ted Williams Freeway. There's a lot of them. It's a short stretch out there in the northern county of uh, San Diego County. And it was uh, decent. It was, as expected, smooth, sm- sh- sh- uh, short strokes, and it was quick. <laughs> there was a, we, I, we drove much more on the Martin Luther King Freeway than the Ted Williams. That is, I think the Ted Williams is part of the uh, Interstate number 15 up there in Northern County, or just an offshoot of that. I think we got on that uh, when we we're coming into the county and then never saw it again. But here's yeah, an, here's here's a, a, that's a town that, that names its uh, roads after people who did well in sports there and things after them. There's not a Walter Payton fucking drive here in Chicago. What's going on, Chicago? They got a Tony Gwynn drive. They got Martin Luther King, Ted Williams. They're, they celebrate their heroes out there in San Diego. Yeah, we need, we need a Frank Thomas freeway here. But the reason why I mentioned uh, Ted Williams, I had no idea until I went out there a couple years back that he was a native of San Diego. And yeah. I did not know that he was actually uh, half Mexican, or at least mm-hmm. part Mexican, and yes. uh, a secret Mexican, if you will. He actively concealed that he was Mexican-American for most of his life. He would never mention it to anybody. My mother was strictly Salvation Army, strictly non-family. Uh, I wouldn't want to be married to a gal like that. And he comes into the San Diego wow. train station. So all the relatives ran down there to, to go greet him. Ted took one look at the motley crew of Mexicans, hightailed it in the other direction. <laughs> he ran away from them. He lived separately. He was not a socializer. And I think he was shy about his Mexican background. He had an inferiority complex. I think it was there all the time. Mm. <laughs> he was it's he, terrible. That's yeah, it's it sucks. Uh, you know, he was. I mean, I guess you know uh, what this the 30s, 40s. I mean, yeah, it probably paid to be white passing as a Mexican, and if you can hide that at that time, it's it's terrible for him to do that. But society made him feel as Mexican was not the way to be, and I hope people who are listening right now don't feel that way i mean what your heritage is is what it is you should celebrate that especially if you have some mexican heritage it was it probably made him stronger made him more well-rounded of a human being i wish he would leaned into that learned a little bit more about his mexican heritage because they do celebrate him out in san diego they love him and there was a team called the san diego padres a minor league team i think he played on when he was like 19 years old um and he really showed out when he was a uh, San Diego Padres, smooth ass uniforms too. They wish they would bring him back as a like a Sunday treat. Now that they've moved back to the brown and yellow. There you have it. So you learn about Lee Elia being a former White Sox. You learn about Ted Williams being secretly Mexican, and that's that, that's where we are in episode forty nine here. So. The game, I believe, uh, no, not quite yet, but the Sox are... It was are, about to be over. Yeah, the Sox are leading 5-3. to three. Is your man's... Uh, co- yeah, your man Colomay's out there trying his best to blow it, but um, he was, of course, the honorary at number 48 episode. Uh, but a lot, garbage lot, slider he's threw to Daniel Descalso, and they didn't send Josh Fegley home. I would have sent him. Herb, you don't have the express written consent here of Major League Baseball, so let's cool it, all right? Let's calm the fuck down, please. Play would you please? Play. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there are some things to talk about from this game as we as we wrap mm-hmm. up and get ready for the real thing, which is uh, Friday, which is four days away, and I'm looking forward to it, as I'm sure you are. I, just watching this game tonight, really just missing the communal aspect of baseball. It would be, you know, I saw Layla Rahimi and Ozzy Guillen out front by the old Comiskey Park home plate doing the pregame, and I was like, man, I really. I I'm not a sociable person, really, despite doing this and doing radio. I'm not someone who likes to be around people a, a whole bunch. I'm pretty, pretty simple guy. I just like to hang around my friends and family and enjoy the things I enjoy. But I miss that communal 
aspect of going to a baseball game, seeing our great Lockdown Sox listeners, seeing our great score listeners, friends that we know in the industry over the years, and just seeing them, that that fam, that familiar aspect of baseball, I, I was really starting to miss it tonight because it's starting to feel like it's coming together. Like the baseball thing, like I can't believe that we're here. I thought something bad would have happened and we wouldn't be starting on time. Now, something very well bad could happen after we get started. Uh, but it's just it's good to be here in, in this place where we are to talk about things that are happening on the field as we inch closer to opening day on Friday. By the way, Sox win. Sox win. It's a victory. Five to three over the Cubs. The White Sox win. Print the banner. Line up the parade. Michigan Avenue on the Dutch Turkle Bridge Division Street. Let's go. Yermin Mercedes just uh, welcoming Alex Colomay after he got Steven Souza Jr. to pop it up to right field. So, yeah, that first inning where oh boy. Dallas Keuchel, well, even before the you know team started batting, Dallas Keuchel in the first inning, it surprised me a little bit that he's pitching out of the stretch. Yeah, that, that was something that, that a couple times. Yeah, he started doing that. Last week while you were out, they just decided to do that. He got into a bit of a groove, and they decided to keep it like that. He, he had a good outing uh, last week against his own club. The Sox had the inter-squad. He, he was dealing just as he was tonight. So that's a thing that they're going to stay rolling with for a little bit here. Dallas Keuchel pitching out of the stretch, but go ahead. Yeah, and if that's what he's looking like, pitching out of the stretch, do it all the time because he looked excellent in his innings of work. He was getting the... Ground balls, as he's wont to do, 60% last year led the major leagues in ground ball rate, and he looked better than I even imagined. And I know it's his practice, and maybe the Cubs are taking time off, no Anthony Rizzo, blah, 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 blah. I got to go, but why I saw it. He looked great. But to get to that bat, first at bat, Timmy, knock. Okay, so so let's let's so let's backtrack a little bit. Okay, so let's 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 really dive into this here and talk about okay. what we saw tonight and how it's going to relate to the big picture here. So Tim Anderson batting leadoff again. You mentioned yes. he he reached in the first inning with a hustling double, good base double. running there, uh, great at bat, great hit. Um, how do we feel? He he looked bad in the second at bat, but then he got an, an infield single. That speed really helping him out in the third at bat. This is going to be a thing, it looks like, Tim Anderson batting leadoff. And it, it's funny as it is to say this out, out loud, but even though he won the batting title last year, do you like Tim Anderson hitting in the leadoff spot, Herb? I never have. I don't think he's a guy that has a high on-base percentage. I just see a regression coming, and that's probably the negative Sox uh, fan in me. Then that's okay. I like he could regress. Like, yeah, he can. He can yeah. regress and hit three fifteen. But if the OBP stays the same or even goes up if he walks more, that's but I fine. Don't see him walking more. That's the yeah. problem. He's a guy who gets on base by hitting, and that if that's his thing, cool. If he hits three thirty five and gets on base thirty six percent of the time. Be my leadoff guy, but I don't think that is a real thing that's going to happen this year. If they feel that way and Timmy says, hey, if you don't think it her, watch me, I feel that he can do it if he puts his mind to it. But I would be more of a Yasmani Grandal guy, a guy who gets on 300 or 38% of the time. But, you know, Ricky likes that traditional leadoff guy, speed and such like that. So, I'm just going to roll with it. If it works, it works. And if Timmy's comfortable with it, go ahead. But last year when we were asking Tim to get more bats up in the top of the lineup, he's having this bitch bat seventh. And now this year where we have good players who would be benefiting from Timmy hitting later in the lineup, now he's hitting first. And, you know, no rhyme or reason behind Ricky's whole thing. But I think – He's more suited to the back of the lineup than the front of the lineup. But if he is this guy hitting 335, you got to have him up to put bat a little bit more. Yeah, you, you have to sort of rely on what he did last year, and, and you have to act as if that's sustainable. And even though we, we know it's not, but at least you have to hope that that level is going to be a level where he can sort of sort of tread water above 300 and get on base. And, and I think this, there's a thing with baseball lineups where – you know, it, it doesn't always matter over the course of, of, of uh, a short season like we're about to have who's batting first because the difference is going to be marginal. But there's something about certain guys at the top of the lineup that truly set the tone with 
with their performance on field, but also the, their presence in and around the team. Like I always think back to uh, Alfonso Soriano with the Cubs back in 07, 08, when they won back to back, back division titles. And he was just, he was the guy. He just, the way starting a game with him leading in that leadoff spot just puts a different type of charge into a ball club. And maybe that's something that we'll see here from Tim Anderson and the White Sox. But I'm with you on the Grandal thing. I think having a patient guy who takes his walks, some someone with an astute mind for the game like he has, breaking down pitchers, he might be able to take like a 10, 12 pitch at bat the, the start of the game, and then he can pick out tells from that pitcher before you're even two batters into the ball game, and it could change the the dynamic of the entire game after that. So I like Grandal from that perspective, but in terms of just being a spark, there's no bigger spark than Tim Anderson is for the White Sox. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But I, you know, I think you know they're going to manage these games here this week like they matter and this is pretty much close to the lineup that we're going to see on a regular basis so I think Tim Anderson's going to be in that leadoff spot for better or for worse and we'll just hope it stays uh, on a positive level because I like what he did tonight obviously so uh, another thing Yoan Moncada was back in the lineup tonight after being in the uh, coronavirus protocol and uh, Ricky said before the game we're going to wait and see how he feels tomorrow and what he does you know tomorrow and how he responds to playing in a game to, uh, tonight to see how we feel about him starting on opening day. Well, here's what Johan Moncada did today. He had an RBI single in his first at bat, and mm-hmm. it, it was he had a, a, a few outstanding plays at third base. Reaction time is, is just as good as ever. He looks ready to go. Let's, let, let's be honest. <laughs> did you see anything other than that from Johan Moncada? He's ready to rock for opening day, wouldn't you think? Yeah, the best thing he did today was a rocket shot by Chris Bryant down the line third base, and he smoothly just went to his side, caught it, and then threw a perfect strike to uh, Jose Abreu. And you could tell that Chris Bryant's like, I hit the hell out of that ball and was surprised that he got thrown out because Chris can he ran hard. pick him up and put him down. He yeah. ran hard. He knew he and, earned a base hit on that one, so he ran as hard as he could to, to get the first base. And it just it wasn't good enough because Joan was just a bit better on that one. And you could tell, like, I don't know if he tipped his cap to him because he took the hat was the cap was off. The the hat was off and he was like, Man, you saw the exasperation on his face. He's like, How the hell did that guy get that ball and throw me out? smoothly too like without any effort he was like man he didn't miss a beat and they have tim anderson mic'd up and he's like who needs practice who needs practice because that man (laughs) looks like the mvp style player that we're going to get in the future and it's so good to see yohan mancada back you don't realize how good he is until you see him on the field again. You don't, you don't realize you miss him. Like you see in this Nicky Delmonico's and the Yermi Mercedes and the Chesler Cuthbert's on third base. You're like, Ugh, this is bad. And then you get that next level, that all-star MVP level third base glove out there. You're like, man, that's what it looks like. This team is stacked. We got a bunch of those guys. The, this team is stacked. The lineup is pretty relentless. You've got some veteran hitters in there. Who there's a lot of aggressive hitters in this lineup. There's also some veterans in there who know what they're doing and, and seeing a lot of pitches. Uh, newly acquired Edwin Encarnacion with a nine pitch at bat in the first inning. Best I, bat, the best at bat of the of the whole the whole first inning. Yeah, and I, I think His you life. said he spit on uh, Darvish's breaking ball that he tried to throw him on three two, and he even had a little walk swag there. Like he, he he watched that pitch all the way, and he had that look like, Nah, man, I ain't going for that. Mm-hmm. It was filthy. I can't believe, like, firstly, he, like, fouled off two tough sliders um, before we got to that last 3-2 slider. They were low in the zone. Steve Stone said to themselves, like, he hung a couple sliders before that and lucky that they were higher than high so Edwin wouldn't take him out. Then Darvish started finding the release on this slider, and Edwin's fouling these off. He's spoiling them. And then to spit on that last one was just great. I think it frustrated you, Darvish, because he knows he found his groove. He knows he's found his release point. But that would get a swing usually from lesser hitters. But Edwin Gernconacion is just a professional hitter. And to have him on the team is, like, ridiculous. And before the game, I said, you, Darvish, is filthy. But he was not filthy today. The Sox hitters were seeing him 
perfectly. He settled he, loose. He, he settled in as as the game got on, but by then it was already over. They they hit him with the five mm-hmm. spot in the first inning, and they said, "Get him the body bag, yeah!" <laughs> At twenty nine pitches only, you know, and they and they just called it. The, they called the first inning after twenty nine pitches because that was the yeah. cap. But you know, we can't this Encarnacion. It's just going to be such an underrated pick up this offseason because there's a lot of star power in this lineup, a lot of young, flashy talent that we're that we're gonna, you know, watch over the course of the season and we're gonna talk about Luis Robert and Moncada and Tim Anderson and what he brings. But guys like Abreu, guys like Encarnacion with the quiet confidence and the veteran experience to extend at bats, get starting pitchers out early, and you make the guys behind them in the lineup see more pitches, and then what happens after Encarnacion's up there? We have the grand slam by Eloy Jimenez. Thanks, Cubs! He hit that one pretty well, Herbie. <laughs> oh, right when it was hit, I just yelled out, yeah! Because I knew it was gone. It had the sound, the trajectory. Yeah, you saw Eloy with the finish on it. You knew he knew it was gone, and Alvaro Mora's climbing the wall like he <laughs> I, I love how more he's such he's such a hardo man more is such a hardo i love that guy we you know I, i'm biased because we had him on our afternoon show for for a solid year and a half or so and he's a good dude um uh, but yeah i don't know what he's doing out there remind me of eric burns out there trying to climb that wall uh, uh, hustle for hustle's sake yeah <laughs> that ball was murdered and yeah it was it felt so good i don't i know and i tweeted this i was like I got to remind myself, this is just practice, but these guys look great. Like, they look like they're having an enjoyable time, which is one of the key factors of winning. You, you got to like the game. You got to enjoy yourselves to win. And it looks like any pitcher up there, you Darvish, I don't care if you guys don't like the Cubs and you think that you Darvish is bad. That man was the best pitcher in the National League in the second half of the year. And the Sox made him look ordinary as fuck today, in that first inning at least. And if they wouldn't have stopped it, I think they could have got a couple more hits because Nick Magical was the next hitter up, and then we would have turned the lineup over. So, yeah, they made him look really ordinary. And he was, you know, he's trying to gear up. You know, he wants to go out there and just give up runs, even though it's a practice. Yeah, you don't think you Darvish is. You don't think Darvish is mad. You don't think you Darvish is mad that he's not the opening day starter. I think he should be. I don't care what Kyle Hendricks has done in his tenure in a Cubs uniform. You Darvish had the best year out of all of them last year, and he had his reservations about even playing this year. So you know, if he's there, he's he's there, and he means business, and he wants to be that opening day starter. So you don't think he had a little bit something to prove there tonight? Of course he did. So the fact that 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 they put the five spot up early, even though he wasn't spotting very well, but still they, they face good pitching and they jumped on him early. That's going to be huge this year with, and with a lineup as potent as the Sox are, that's going to be the recipe for success. Jumping on good pitching early, especially in the AL central and the good pitching that you see in this division, that's going to be key this year. So no matter what they did after that, I don't know, Darvish settled in a little bit, but jumping on pitching early is going to be so important as we go forward here in, in 2020. Yeah, and this Friday, if we're previewing the games, the guy they're facing on Friday is a filthy guy in Jose Barrios, a guy that has all the pitches that you want and is nasty. If the White Sox are going to win this division, they need to hit guys like him, specifically him, to take over the Twins. They have 10 games with the Twins, and I think seven of them were up in the Metrodome, uh, or in the Metrodome, the target field. <laughs> this year's and a wrap. Barrios- if they bring back the Metrodome, this year's a wrap. I don't want to watch any games because <laughs> oh, I couldn't imagine so what a 60-game season game in the Metrodome would feel like. It would probably feel I mean, like 10 World Series games. <laughs> Like, I don't know why they changed from that place. It gave them a home field advantage like no other. At least replicate that garbage just like the Yankees did with their stadium and keep the dome. Maybe if you want to make it retractable. But there was a home field advantage in there that no one wanted to play at the Metro Dump. And you had an advantage with the air conditioning, whatever, they, the piped-in sounds for the victims. Uh, I don't understand <laughs> why you get rid of that, but whatever. That's what the Sox have to beat. they got to beat the Barrioses and uh, Odorizzi, who's looking for a big-time deal this year. they got to beat those guys to win this division. 
And it seems like there's no let up in that White Sox lineup. And I love it. I'm, I was just juiced up. I hope like you always say like the save some for the next game type of thing. I was saying that to myself, like save it for the regular season, but there is no saving for it. These guys are just doing what they want to do and preparing for the regular season. I think these bats will play. That is very exciting. As we were saying before, we had guys like Matt Davidson. I was railing for Matt Davidson to stay on this team. I don't know who Matt Davidson is now because <laughs> if he was on this team, he would be on in double A or something because he would not get any type of tick. That's the type of level we've gone from where we're cheering for good guys who are not as good as these guys. These guys are real hitters, and I'm excited to see every single game that's going to be played this year for the White Sox. It wasn't all great tonight. Uh, a guy hitting sixth in the lineup was Luis Robert this evening, who was 0 for 3. Uh, did not pre- what a bump. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think they should trade him now. Just get what you can for him. Um, he was 0 for 3 tonight against Darvish. Didn't look particularly good. Didn't have uh, great at-bats. Uh, a couple of three-pitch strikeouts, I believe. Yeah, he flied out to center in his first at-bat. Struck out in his second at bat and struck out on three pitches in his third at bat. You know, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, he had a good night last night. But it, it is what it is. And wh- what we're going to do here this year is everyone in baseball is talking about Luis Robert. So as part of our five podcasts that we're going to do a week talking about the White Sox, maybe more. You know, I think as uh, as the season intensifies, we may have to intensify if, if something compels us to get out here and record. You know, these games are going to feel huge. So we, we may do more than that. But I think we're going to spotlight the progress of Luis Robert this year with a little with a mini series within Lockdown White Sox called Lockdown Luis, where we just sort of chronicle the ups and downs of Luis Robert, one of the highly touted White Sox prospects in team history. We're going to spotlight him and talk about the week uh, that was for him and the week ahead that that is for him. And he's going to do some amazing things along the way that are, it's going to warrant his own episode. So uh, thoughts yeah. about about Luis Robert, for the videos that you've seen while you were away. I uh, haven't talked to you much about Luis Robert uh, over the past week or so. So what's what sticks out in your mind when you think of the, the week he's had and, and those bombs that he hit the other night in the inter-squad game? What sticks out is that you – uh, put the hex on him today when we we're on the Dan Bernstein show. Yes. And you said that he was going to be, or he might be like Gordon Beckham who started off like a rocket and then fizzled off. So you put the hex, you nah. put the Gordon Beckham hex on him. And now he's over three. Hey, Gordon Beckham's be still in the league, Herbie. Gordon Beckham's still in the league. If Luis, the, if Luis Robertson, <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I know that, it was a Tiger last year. That feels right. Yeah, I didn't say he was going to be Gordon Beckham, but we always have to look at every prospect through the lens. Like, you know, I, 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 I don't like to, to, to buy – too er- buy in too early on guys like in baseball is a cruel game man it's a, it's a it's a it's it's really an unfair game to be honest with you but but to be honest Luis robert was created unfairly if you take one look at the guy and, and look at your own self in the mirror you're like oh yeah this all men are not created equal i don't look like Luis no. robert does so i'm not saying no, he will and, be and, and he eats damn dominoes <laughs> like every night when he's in the minors and i don't know how he keeps that body i don't understand metabolism he's like in his early 20s, but, like, I don't know. He has a terrible diet as far as his Instagram uh, <laughs> videos go. So, yeah, I wish I could eat pizza every night and look like Luis Robert. Unfortunately, I look like me, and I don't eat pizza every night. I wish I looked like me and eat pizza every <laughs> night. I'll be fine with that, actually. So, yeah, so we're going to talk about Luis Robert and give him his own episode throughout the season because I can't remember. You know, it was nice of Dan Bernstein to have us on the show earlier and, and pump the podcast a little bit, but I asked him – who is the most highly touted five-tool White Sox prospect that he can remember in his lifetime. And, and he came back at us with a, a surprising answer that I, I was thinking he would go Kenny Williams, which ultimately he said later on he, after he said this name. But he went uh, current first base coach Debo, Daryl Boston, as is, is the guy that was the five-tool guy. Uh, coming up for the Sox back in the day and you know he went on to have some success uh, with with the Mets I believe uh, I think he was on that 86 team with Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden and those guys but yeah, yeah. I mean he, he Coke was flowing 
Oh, yeah, it was. Um, Coca-Cola, of course. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, he said Daryl Boston, which was an interesting name. So, you you know, not all these guys are going to hit. I think Luis Roberts gonna going to hit. And I don't mean just with the bat. I just mean he, he's going to be a top-tier player in, in Major League Baseball. And we're going to talk about it later on this week, what Lucas Giolito said about him uh, being a beast for 10 to 20 years in baseball. So, But, yeah, any more thoughts about Luis Robert before we move on to the bag? No, I just think that he'll be, like I said today, he won't be counted on as the big guy. Like when Yohan was brought up, I think part of the problem with him was there was no real other person except for Jose Abreu on the team. He's the big prospect. They traded Chris Sale for him this episode's name. That's Chris Sale. They traded for him and Michael Kopech. So Michael Kopech's a couple of years back. I'm the centerpiece. I need to perform well. And that's why that 2018 season really didn't go well. He led the league in strikeouts. He felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. Luis Robert can ease into this because there's so many other players, veterans we've already talked about, that are going to be counted on. We're counting on Eloy to do the things he did today. Johan to do the thing he did today. Timmy, uh, uh, Abreu. Grandal, all these guys to do the things that they need to do with the bat. And then you get the extra, the six, seven, eight hitter of Luis Robert coming in. And if he gives you what, 250 and looks good in the outfield, catches everything, steals a couple bags and doesn't produce with the bat, I think everybody would be like, you know what? Fine. The kid was fine. His rookie year. It's a Weird season. We're good with it. But I think it's going to go the opposite way since he's got all these rest of these people in front of him. So he's going to relax. He's going to chill out. He's going to have fun like the rest of the team is and be himself. And now he gets to eat some delicious pizza in Chicago instead of that garbage in Domino's. Actually, it's not garbage. It's very delicious. We had a a couple (laughs) times on the road. Only get the pan pizza. All the rest of it is uh, subpar. So if you're in a, a foreign city, where it doesn't give you good pizza options like Chicago and and uh, San Diego is terrible for pizza except for one place called Philippi's. It was really good. They give you gobs full of cheese and great toppings, but otherwise it's shit because we had this pizza on the boardwalk. They had reheated pizza. It was brown. It was like burnt. It was just cheese pizza. It was thin as hell. And it was like the worst thing I've ever had in my life. No doubt, Tanny. You know how I will max anything and just make it, make it, you know, fun and make it light. No, this shit was terrible. I was like, San Diego, it's easy. Good dough, great sauce, decent cheese. They That's don't have, it. They don't have the water, though, Herbie, that New York does. Oh, yeah, I forgot. They don't have the water. So, yeah, it's it was the water. So shit. But, but, yeah, Luis Robert, I think it's going to be fine. All right, let's be relaxed this year. Let's get to the bag. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. Remember, you can email us lockedonsocks at gmail.com. That's lockedonsocks at gmail.com if you want to get in on this Mailbag Monday. It's one of my favorite parts of the week where we just get to. You know, just uh, talk to you guys and and press the flesh digitally uh, and talk about the socks and just kind of goof around and, and, you know, sort of talk about old players and memories and and our favorite things to do in in road cities or at the ballpark. So uh, these are strictly baseball questions here tonight. Uh, We've got here Mike Victor, a, uh, a very solid contributor for us. He reaches out. Mike says, hey, guys. Two injury-related questions for this upcoming year and beyond. First, what is the threshold for number of games missed due to injury where it's not worth ramping up to return? Two weeks? None? All right, let's let's start with that. So someone goes down with an injury. What's the threshold for a, amount of days you're willing to put on someone where you just say, you know what, don't bother come back. Let's just, just get healthy and be ready for us in 2021. I think it depends on the person. So... A younger player that we're not counting on. We're just talking about Luis Robert. He has some injury that takes him out for a month, beginning of the year. You tell him, hey, just relax. We got Adam Engel here. We're not really counting on you. Get yourself right because we're going to have many more years of you. We've signed that contract. We do not want to have you entered here. 
Now, if you got a guy who's on one-year deal like Edwin Encarnacion that you're counting on, you don't really have a lot of DH options that can do what Edwin Encarnacion could do for your team. He's hurt for a month at the beginning of the year. Yes, you're bringing him back because he's on a one-year with an option year. Uh, for next year, you want that bat in your lineup. You need that bat. You're counting on Edwin Encarnacion to do the things he usually does with his bat. So, yes, you need him to hustle back or to get back as healthy as he can and just provide that bat that you need. Uh, for young pitchers, the same thing. You just err on the side of caution, which I would have loved them to do with Kopech and my plan of 75 pitches before he opted out. If a guy gets a little twinge in his arm, his shoulder, his elbow, you just say, hey, man, uh, it's not worth it. It's 60 games. I don't even know if we can win it. And if it's like uh, Dane Dunning coming off the injury or Carlos Rodon, Rodon who's got uh, a history of injury problems, you tell him to relax. But a veteran like Dallas Keuchel, you tell him if you feel comfortable to come back, you feel comfortable to throw pitches, come on, do it. Giolito, you sit him down. You shut him down for if it's a longer than a regular 15, or I think it was 10 games, right, at the IL now. Yeah. If it's a longer than the regular IL, um, you sit him down. You don't want to lose that for years to come. You get him healthy, and you say, okay, cool. I, I can't risk your health for this short season. So those, that's the type of thing I would be looking at. I don't know how you're feeling about that, Tanny. No, I, that's I, the younger pitchers, younger hitters, sit them out. Older guys, you let them battle through. If they want to pitch or play, go ahead and let them do it. Yeah, you know, it, this, is a, this is a tough one, but I, I agree with a lot of you, uh, agree with you a lot on. Rick Hahn has said all through it, throughout this whole process that this is about multiple shots, multiple years. This isn't about one year. So I agree with him in that regard, especially when it comes to anything that goes down this year with, with injuries. I don't like anything in the arm. I don't like oblique muscles. I don't like plantar fasciitis, anything like that. That's like nagging that, that comes back without rest. You know, the, the things that could hamper your performance on the field if, if you're not resting you know I don't want guys playing through it this year you know what I mean like I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, with such a small sample size you know something like that I, I, don't, I don't need you out there costing the team I'd rather have a guy who is right on the cusp of, of being in the major leagues anyway your Blake Rutherfords of the world, someone like that who's healthy and who's hungry rather than a veteran trying to gut through it and, and possibly making the, the, the team worse uh, as a result of that. But I, I, I agree with you in principle on a lot of that stuff too. It, it all makes sense. You know, you, the, the, any, anyone in the core shut down. You know, I, it, it, I would like to say that it depends on where they are in the standings, but really you should stick to whatever – sort of game plan you have and whatever philosophy you're going to have. And I, I don't want anyone to risk injury long-term pressing for 2020. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, just yeah. everything, first of all, these rosters were acting as if like physical injuries, the baseball injuries are the only injuries that are going to uh, take over the team at, at any point, point this year. Like they're going to have their share. I think of virus related injuries, whether it be it's so-and-so has, to take a, a leave because someone has to do with someone in their family or someone gets the virus themselves, you know? So like in a perfect world, and it, it, I think, you know, that, that you'd be incredibly lucky to have just a guy dealing with a, a sore shoulder or, you know, uh, a hammy issue. You know, I think it's going to go a lot deeper than that. So ultimately I don't think it's something that we're going to care much about in the big picture. I think, you know, these things are going to take care of themselves and, and, and hopefully they're in a position at the end of the season where, you know they're they'll be competing and you, and and hopefully it's something that you'll have to make a, a tough decision. You know that means mm-hmm. that the Sox exceeded expectations or at least met expectations. But I, I to just wrap it up, I know I'm rambling a bit here, but I don't want anyone risking 2021 because really it's all about next year and and years after that. I don't want anyone risking the future of this whole plan. I don't want all the years that have been you know, building up to this point, I don't want all those years to be shot because of mismanagement of players' health in 2020. And that goes for baseball injuries. That goes for coronavirus protocol, all of it. So uh, second part of Mike's question here, uh, 
what, if any, impact do you think the short, shortened season will have on a player's health for next season? It seems like players will be stronger and free of any nagging injuries this season due to the lack of grind this season appears to have. And that kind of goes along with what I was saying. I think you're going to see a lot of guys really try to press and play through a lot of things because it's more of a, a sprint this year. Do you agree? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, this year, I, uh, speaking of next year, I don't know. Like, I don't know if the time off from playing will keep them from having the off season hurts and the aches that, you know, you usually go through in a grind, but I'm maybe they're playing a little harder. Like the sprint, like you said, they're playing a little harder in these 60 because they know it's only 60. So I can give a little bit more. I don't have to save a little bit in the tank for the, the stretch, the grind of, uh, the dog days of summer. So they're just off and going right now, and they're giving all they have for these 60 games. And then it's the same off-season type of hurts and the same pains and the recovery that they have to go through. So I don't know uh, uh, what the effects of this will be. You would think that not playing 100 extra games that they usually would do would be very advantageous for their body to be healed next year and come out really strong yeah i don't think it's like you said i don't think it's as simple as you know shorter season you know let less injuries less wear and tear there's going to be no sunday lineups this year there's going to be no natural Mm -hmm. way to get guys two sometimes three days off of rest consecutively you know like yes speaking of that do you think they're going to have yasmani grandal Mm -hmm. catch for 50 plus games this year out of the 60 um, I don't think so. I mean, it's all going to, you know, they're going to have to have to rely on Ricky Renteria and he's going to have to communicate with, with his guys, he have to communicate with Yasmani. Um, that's another guy that's going to be here for the, for the long term, at least as far as, as long as the window's open. I think that's why they got someone like him because he can DH and that's why you have a guy and what, like James McCann. Play first too. Yeah, you, you, that's why you have James McCann. Why you didn't trade him in the off season or in spring training? Like that's gonna that's gonna be important because I don't think you should have Yasmani Grandal out there for fifty games be, catching because who knows what he's gonna have left for you in the playoffs? You know, in a over the uh, ebbs and flows of a regular season, you can find him spots to rest and get him a few days off where he's not catching uh, around natural off days and, and Sunday lineups and and DHing. But yeah, I, I don't want to see him out there. Uh, I, I mean, but the, he could be a freak, you know. He, he's he's caught a lot of games in his career, so maybe he can Lots. he can handle that, you know. But also, you do kind of have to guard yourself against the future of that, where you know, if you don't have to catch him every day, and you certainly don't because of the rapport that McCann's built up with many guys on the staff, and everyone seems to like yep. throwing to him. So if you can DH him uh, once or twice a week, that that might be worth it. But I guess you will have to wait and see how it progresses because that's also a guy that can that can help you behind the plate. Lucas Giolito talked the other day about how he was stealing strikes for him in the last inter squad mm-hmm. game that they were playing. So it, that's they're gonna have to wait and see how it goes. You know, I hate to say that all the time, but like just wait and see how things progress. And if the Sox get off to a nice start, maybe they'll have that luxury of, of resting a guy like that or playing him at first base. But We'll to... And I would love to have him in the game, no matter what. Like you just brought up with DH or first base, for you know, you want to give him a day off or two, but fifty-five games. Like I love his bat so much that yeah. I I would love for him to get some some type of at bat during most of these games because he's I think he's very valuable with the catching skill he has. And then you saw it yesterday, mercy, that ball he hit off of Kyle Hendricks. Was just a rocket. Yeah, he hits good pitching too. Uh, you know, uh, to top it all off, you know. Plus, Actually, it wasn't Kyle Hendricks. It was uh, Jarrell Cotton by that time. So right, it was uh, Kyle. Kyle's uh, runners were still on the base, though. Right. So you know, and another thing with Grandal is he doesn't have to be behind the plate to help your ball club. Like I mentioned at the mm-hmm. at the beginning of the podcast here, like he's a guy that can if he's DHing that. You know he's not used to doing that in his big league career. Like he he could take that time. He could be one of these guys that everyone hates being around, like an AJ type, where you know they much rather see him behind the plate than next to you in the dugout. But he could be a guy that could help you just as much uh, if you want to call it on a quote unquote off day or a DH day, uh, where he could still help the pitching staff. You know, not impeding on what on what James McCann's trying to do back there, but also you know 
help the other hitters. Like, hey, I see this guy's doing this out there on the mound, or I noticed this about your delivery, and you know, maybe you know, you do a conference sort of thing where you know you, you have the everyone a meeting of the minds, so to speak, and and you know, you put all the heads together and sort of uh, come out with the best results uh, for the club. So. One thing to watch, that's for sure, how they handle rest and playing time because in a 60-game season, no one's going to say, hey, I I need a breather. So we'll have to wait and see how that one plays out. Uh, Next email from our guy, John Shank. Checking in. Hope you guys both are doing well and that you enjoyed your trip to San Diego, Herb. Uh, Outside of the obvious people, Robert, Eloy, who do you think is a key player to Sox success that maybe isn't getting attention that they deserve? Take care. And Tanny still owes me a beer. Uh, John probably thinks that this whole coronavirus is a uh, worldwide conspiracy to have me not (laughs) buy him a beer, just like how I believe it's a conspiracy for me to not have any Cubs Day games off from work or have my kid peeing in school. And it's a conspiracy to me not have any free time but yeah we'll, we'll get you that beer john even if we have to do a, a watch party somewhere uh and, and watch the socks in an outdoor patio but yeah I'll, I'll get you that beer don't worry but i prefer it to be at a ballpark it, beers taste better there but uh so who do you think besides the obvious guys like robert and eloy are key players to the Sox success that we're not talking about well a guy that we both have pretty much you know sometimes written off and thought that maybe he's not ready for it and the other day of the inner squad game didn't look great great but Ronaldo Lopez since there's going to be no Michael Kopech this year Ronaldo Lopez has to step up and the people have been talking about him like he's going to have the year that Giolito had from 18 and then switching to 19 if that happens we're in and we're going to need these pitchers to be um, better than what's advertised because um, with no Kopech and the 60 games thing, we're going to have guys in the bullpen getting much more innings than they should be. Like we're going to be relying on Chase Fry and Evan Marshall, even though they're good bullpens from year to year are volatile. I'm not trusting uh, the White Sox success on my bullpen. So you need guys who start in the game to be more consistent. So we're getting the ball to more proven commodities. We're getting the ball to Aaron Bum. We're getting to Alex Colomay. He didn't look great tonight. He still gets the job done as far as getting the saves that he needs to get uh, at the end of the game. So to shorten the games, we need our starters to go five or six innings this year strong so we can get to more trusted bullpen guys. And another guy, Kelvin Herrera, needs to be the Royals' Kevin Herrera, not the guy who mm. showed up last year for the White Sox and Moose. Just mm. shit. Uh, yeah, I have my doubts about that. Uh, one guy that, I, that I've uh, liked out there in the past uh, few outings that I've seen him is, is Jimmy Lambert, and we're going to talk about him uh, a little bit mm-hmm. more as we progress here. But that's that's a guy who I think could have a role this year. But the guy that that I you, you touched on the bullpen and Alex Colomay, I think – Having someone that could come and hammer down these games. Look, anytime you, you're a team on the cusp of contending, as the White Sox are going to be this year, bullpens are often the first thing to suffer before you really take that next step and, and become a championship contender. You do not want to see this team pound teams to death and all of a sudden lose games in the bullpen, especially in a short season like this. That's going to be it's going to kill everything. It's going to make it all feel like it's not worth it. So there's a lot of pressure on Alex Colomay looking at you to hammer down these games and to make sure that you're securing these victories when when they matter most. Make sure you're because it's so important for building the confidence of a young ball club when you can get what you're all fighting for get those victories at the end of the day you know it, it, it the, you don't want that feeling of, of deflation uh, of a blown save look, look what the look at the cubs last year have all the talent in the world you bring over craig kimbrell in the middle of the season and you think that's going to solve all your problems and that's going to turn them into a world series contender well it, it in fact it was the opposite it, he blew so many saves and extended so many games that it just totally depleted the bullpen. Uh, Steve Cischak, one of those guys who's on the Sox now, that was a victim of that. Uh, you, you have to overuse guys who you normally wouldn't want to use as much. So I think it's it's going to be Alex Colomay. And, and closing down these ball games is going to be so important this year for the Sox to take that next step, and especially if they want to compete this year. There's, there's no doubt about it. You, you can't have uh, one or two blown saves a week and, and ultimately recover. You may have the offense to – hang late in the game or to recover 
from a bad bullpen, but you know maybe more so this year than in in norm in a normal season you can sort of you can cover for a mistake of a bad bullpen because you can win games late and and over the course of 162 those innings don't all add up like they normally would so maybe you can kind of sneak by with not a great bullpen but definitely if you want to surpass the twins and the central you have to hammer down those victories and it's not just column a it's bummer but uh column a mostly I, I think is most important because a lot of people thought the regression is coming we'll have to wait and see on that one as well but i think it's column a without a doubt no one's talking about him because y- you take him for granted if you have a solid closer as he was last year it's something that you don't really worry about but if your closer has a bad year you are done and i don't think they have a lot of guys uh on the roster currently as it stands that could slide in and, and replace him. Bummer, maybe, but you still need that bridge guy uh, to get those high leverage outs in the middle of a ball game. So I think it's Alex Colomay. Next email from Jake. He says, uh, this is the final email. Maybe I'm reading into the intra-squad games and scrimmage a bit too much, but is it me or does Tim Anderson look even better than he did last year? I've heard so many people discussing regression being a possibility. We mentioned that earlier at the top uh, for TA7 after his breakout 2019. But the more I see from him, the more I think his best years are ahead of him. He's starting to get love on a national scale, and he's really embracing his role as face of the team. And I'm expecting him to be one of the best leadoff hitters in the game this year, as well as an improved fielder. Would love to hear your guys' thoughts. Safe travels, Herb. He said this earlier in the week, and you thanks, guys, for being the best Sox podcast out there. Aww. The show, has helped, you, the show has helped me make quarantine in this long offseason infinitely more bearable. Thank you, Jake. Uh, sorry we weren't there for uh, for a lot of those lean times in the quarantine, but we had our own lives to deal with as well. But you saying that uh, makes me feel uh, really proud, uh, and uh, thank you for being a valued listener of Locked on White Sox. So we, we touched on a lot of this already, but uh, Tim Anderson, do you think you can get even better this year? He was pretty damn good last year. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I don't think people understand how good a ninety-five point jump in batting average is. That's what he did from year to year. It's very unprecedented for him, for anybody I've seen in a White Sox uniform to do that. Now to doubt Tim is a fool's errand, but I want him to prove me wrong. I don't see that guy being present for the rest of his career, even close. Like if I think he's more of a 265 guy and 330 on base, which is fine. Nice. But that, what he did last year and what people are expecting from this year is, I don't know, the next level. And I think he has something, you know, better defensive skills that he hasn't shown as yet. Like he led the league in the airs, but I don't know. It's to to keep up the level he did last year versus major league pitching. I don't know. I'm just going to say no, and hopefully he proves me big time wrong, and I will come right back on here and say it to him and say, hey, man, I was wrong. You've proved me wrong again, and I'll tweet him. Whatever I need to do, won't see him face to face because we're staying apart from each other, but I don't believe that Tim Anderson is the guy that he showed up in 2019. I don't think he's going to continue, but I think he still be will be good if that makes any sense. It does because I, I agree with you on a lot of that. And, and hitting 335 every year I don't think is, is sustainable, but he will get better at recognizing pitches. And so with that, I think the power number numbers will go up for Tim Anderson. He hit 18 home runs last year, down from 20 in 2018. But I think he can be – 25 to 30 home runs you'll see that average dip a little bit because of it but I'm fine with that if he's going to be more of a run producer especially at the top of the order I think you may see those power numbers go up a bit I you know I I, how could you not love Tim Anderson and everything he's bringing he certainly has figured out the confidence or at least talked himself into believing in himself you know I'm sure all these guys have doubts but he appears on, on the outside to be a guy who knows himself is supremely confident in his talents and why wouldn't he be he's a supremely talented player but yeah I think the sky's the limit for him but at three hitting 335 every year I think that that's out of the question but hey I would love for him to prove us wrong but what I've seen from him in these inner squad games is he's jumping on those pitches that he likes for power and hitting them out mm-hmm. so I would love to see that at the top of the lineup get back to that Soriano comp yeah if, if he can start the game one nothing you know before fans get in their seats you know I, I'm, I'm cool with that so yeah I, I expect the power numbers to go up a little bit sort of even as he gets a little stronger 
and gets more familiar with how pitchers are pitching him and recognizes the pitches that he can truly drive as opposed to you know, sort of slapping it to all fields and, and relying on his speed to get on base. So, yeah, sky's the limit for Tim Anderson. This will be a big year, and, and, I, and I think it's safe to call the Tim Anderson draft pick a, a win at this point. What do you think? Correct. They, yes. draft, they drafted a position player, and they developed a position player, and he's a, a, a bona fide starter. How about that? What a low bar. But to T.A., he's the guy. The streak is over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think, uh, let's see, Magical is the next one that can come up and do some work in that regard. But, yeah, that's one of the White Sox bugaboos drafting poorly and not having their own position players make it to the league and be the players that they're supposed to be. So, yeah, kudos to Tim to – for progressing for where he is now, I wish he would prove me wrong and say that he's going to be this guy forever. And I'll eat crow. I'll eat my words. Prove me wrong, Tim. Prove me wrong. Uh, that, I think that about does it for us. That was the end of the. That's the end of the mailbag there, and the end of uh, this edition of Locked On White Sox. And we thank you guys for hanging with us and going over this post game. The Sox winners tonight uh, at Guaranteed Rate right Field over the Cubs. They've got an off day, I believe, then the Brewers are in town. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you a few more times this week as we ramp up towards Friday. Really looking forward to it. Anything else you got for us tonight, Herbie? Nothing else, Chris Tannehill. And I know that you have to end this show with this. Uh, yeah, actually, Herbie, there was one thing I did want to showcase before we get out of here. Um, another thing that made me miss the ballpark tonight was seeing Jason Benetti and Steve Stone come back from a commercial break talking about the late great Ed Farmer and they showed the the Farmio sign I'm assuming they have it up at the broadcast level of guaranteed rate field but uh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to miss Ed we're both going to miss Ed but I'm also going to miss the fact that you know we're not going to be able to have at least not yet uh, a, re- a remembrance for Ed so this is the first time that Jason and Steve have gotten a chance to talk about Ed since his passing on April 2nd so I just want to thank you guys for listening and and the uh, broadcast tonight with uh, Jason Benetti and Steve Stone talking about our friend, the late, great Ed Farmer. On the home run from Eloy Jimenez, the lack of fireworks in this odd era that we're in, and it's almost fitting and or symbolic that there are no fireworks in the first game against an opponent in this ballpark because Ed Farmer used to give the signal on the radio to light up the scoreboard on home runs, and we lost our dear friend Ed Farmer late this offseason uh, the longtime radio voice of the Sox Sox pitcher among other teams but uh, one of the great storytellers in all of baseball Ed Farmer gone way too soon and a guy who you just felt like he was going to be here forever he was always on trips and he was always telling stories and he was always engaging and we're going to miss that guy a whole heck of a lot he did a whole lot in this game that people don't realize. I mean, number one, he was a White Sox All-Star, 1980 All-Star game as a closer. He worked in the front office. He was very knowledgeable about the game and just loved the Sox. Loved them every day, loved the game of baseball, and he really battled. A lot of people didn't realize the battle that he put on on a daily basis just to get to the ballpark and broadcast the game which he did for a long time. We will miss Ed Farmer dearly.